welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my four-year-old daughter. Series five of the podcast is dedicated to donor conception. I speak to a range of donor-conceived people as well as experts on donor conception to cover a range of topics on this subject. In today's episode, I speak to Freya. Freya is in the relatively unique position of both being donor conceived herself and also using donor conception to conceive her daughter. It's great to be able to speak to Freya about both of those perspectives and her unique position. Freya, thank you so much for joining me today on the Stalk and I podcast. No problem. Hi. Before we get into the content of what we'll talk about today, it would be great if you wanted to give yourself an introduction. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm Freya. I live with my wife and my toddler, and she's 16 months. Um, I am donor conceived. I have two mums who used an anonymous sperm donor to conceive me in the 90s. Um, I then went on to use a donor with my wife um, to conceive our daughter. Um, My daughter's donor is an open ID donor, so she will be able to contact him when she turns 18. Um, My donor was anonymous. However, I've then found him using um, commercial genealogy testing um, purely by luck. Amazing. Thank you so much. So I think it's so um, interesting to speak to you because you've really got both sides of the story in terms of this perspective. So if we just start with your story a little bit first. So do you remember being talked to about, you know, your conception and how was it phrased to you when you were young? I think um, I often say to people, I have no memory of the actual conversation because it was from when I was so little, my parents made it quite a normal part of our story. So I've got a younger sister and she's from the same donor. So we'd often talk about it in relation to random things we'd seen on television or if sort of the topic of a dad came up, you know, with school things. Um, But it was never it was never a big kind of dinner table discussion. It was very much normal. And I just figured it, it was, it was just part of my story really. Um, I think I, I grasped it as being a sort of quite sciencey way. I used to think I was quite cool because it was quite a new, I don't think it was that new really in the nineties, but in my head, it was this kind of new technology that made, made it was possible for me to exist. But I, yeah, it was, it was just very normal. <laughs> I think a lot a lot of people say sort of no grand reveal like you don't want to sit down and suddenly learn something it like you say yeah. just having it as part of the conversation just makes it a lot more um yeah. a lot more normal doesn't it yeah definitely did you feel different uh, when you were at school at all because a lot I know a lot of mums speak to me to say that they're worried that their children will be different and actually sometimes like you say people like a story you know don't they? <laughs> but at the same time for a lot of it you do want to fit in as well were you the only person who had like a different family setup or um you know did you feel a bit uh, different I remember at primary school there was one other little boy that had two mums so I think but I, I was brought up in Brighton so it's quite right. um, it's quite progressive when I was little but occasionally I'd have moments where I felt sort of different but it it tended to be really superficial things so 
it would be when there was a um, it was Father's Day and people were drawing cards or it would be I, I distinctly having going through a phase of wishing I had a dad. But it was never that deep, you know, kind of desire. Oh God, I wish I, I had a dad. I feel like I'm missing out. It was purely because I'd seen a dad in the playground throwing his child up and down. And I wanted that. It was <laughs> I didn't want specifically a dad. And, and it was I probably if I'd asked one of my moms to chuck me in the air, they would have. But it was a weird kind of um, something I couldn't really verbalize. And so there were definitely small moments where I felt there was a little inkling that it was slightly different, but I never really, um, I didn't feel like there was a hole or anything. There was nothing I felt I was lacking in. So I think school will always bring those kind of things out because there's, it highlights any difference, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I think it was very superficial when I did feel like that. It wasn't a big deep thing. Um, and it tended to pass quite quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. because it was something that was purely, I could, I could explain it really with, something that actually if if a teacher just turned around and said would you like to draw a card for your granddad instead you know that would have fixed it quite easily yeah <laughs> yeah i think um it's interesting to hear you say that because i think um that's i guess a lot of people's biggest fear that their children will have this like really deep rooted feeling of of missing out or missing something mm. um and you almost try to differentiate don't you between like my daughter has said, oh, I wish I had a daddy. Mm. But again, like she's three at that point. We just spent time with her friends and her dad. And, you know, she also said that she wished she had the same Teletubby as that person. And it's a <laughs> bit like, do am I, what do I read into this? Is yeah. it that she just wants this, you know, because kids always want what the other ones have got. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> um, but I really like your example of actually it was more that, throwing in the air because I often try to say what is it about wanting a dad that you are missing like is there something specific like you say perhaps it's not always really that you wanted a specific person but more something that you've seen somewhere else yeah Um, I think tv shows have a lot to answer for as well Yeah. I do. That's where my my love of rom coms when I was in my twenties has <laughs> not set me up well. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly disappointed. So, what would you say your experience of being donor conceived is? Have you, have you got it? Like, it's a, it's quite positive. I think I've always had it woven into part of my story, and it's been incredibly. Um, incredibly normal but also I've really enjoyed having I can sort of speak about and I can educate people a little bit and I always did even as a teenager because I knew from a young age that it maybe wasn't sort of normal in quotation marks Um, so I I sort of realized that actually the more I talk about it the more people I can make aware of it so that it's less weird and even if that means that the next time they speak to someone that also happens to be donor conceived they're not as um in the dark really because i it was it was rare i'd come across someone that had genuine sort of horrible things to say most of the time it was just curiosity and a misunderstanding of it um so i've i've been happy to carry on that story and i would always say when i came out i'd always say oh and this will always be a part of my story in the future as well so i knew very much that it was going to be something that would carry on and i think that i wouldn't have gone on to have used a donor in the same way if i didn't feel overly positive about my own journey really 
I think I've sort of opened my eyes a bit more in the last couple of years when I've looked into other people's experiences of being donor conceived and become quite aware that in some ways I'm a bit of an anomaly in terms of I've never felt any um, sort of unhappiness about being donor conceived but I'm also very aware I was quite lucky I was in a sort of family that made it very able to talk about it was never a secret but I know some people would have been very unhappy about it being an anonymous donor and I was always incredibly comfortable with that I never really cared it wasn't siblings were a big thing for me but the actual donor himself I was never really that interested in I had two parents that loved me and and I had a family that loved me and I, I didn't there was no point where I was looking for someone to fill that gap. It wasn't mm. a gap really. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you, did you ever wonder about them or you just really didn't think about it too much? We talk occasionally about him. My mum would sometimes bring him up in a kind of, um, if I was interested in something in school. Um, so she'd sort of say like they, they chose my donor because, they were told they got very little information in the 90s um they got the sort of standard hair color eye color height type thing but they got told that he was a street performer um, he was a student but he was also a street performer and they really liked that because they are both musicians so yeah. they wanted a, a musical side of things they didn't actually specify musician but they said street performer and i think in their head they thought artistic and and all this so Often, if I was ever slightly musical at school, they would say, oh, well, it's good as well, because your donor also was, you know, into this. And, and it was a kind of reinforcement of there were some genes there that yeah. were from someone else. But they, they quite liked talking about it. Um, and, and siblings as well. We talked about siblings a lot um, because that was more of a, an open door, really. So it was a bit easier to talk about because we knew it could lead somewhere. I could find them at 18. Um, so, no, it was it was. It was a curiosity kind of conversation. A lot yeah, of interest yeah. and curiosity. And what about siblings? So then have you tried to find siblings? Yeah, so I got all the, the basic information at 16. Mm -hmm. I had, um, there were 15 of us in total. So I knew there were 13 half siblings out there, including me and my sister. So we, we knew that there were mainly girls, I think, and, and I was one of the oldest and my sister was the youngest. And then I signed up at 18 for the donor sibling link. And then I heard nothing <laughs> for oh. a really long time. But I was one of the oldest, so I kept telling oh. myself, well, I'm the first to turn 18, potentially. Mm. So there might be others eventually, but, you know, right now. And then I forgot about it for years. And I even wondered at some points whether my mum hadn't signed me up properly. Because right. I didn't hear anything. And then when I was 22, I got an email from the HFEA and they said, oh, another sibling has, has signed up. So um, I finally got to meet that sibling who actually also had a full sibling. So I got two for the price of one um, <laughs> Brilliant. and, and we connected and we spoke a lot and we met up a few times and they're still big parts of my life, which is lovely. And then last year um, I got another email saying another one had signed up. And again, it was a two for one deal because he had a, a <laughs> sibling as well. Yeah. So we've all come as pairs at the moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's so far six of us that all know each other. Um, and a few left to find. <laughs> Amazing. And how does that feel, your relationship with them? It's lovely. It's, um, I think the first two, it was this big, oh my God moment, because I really, truly wasn't expecting it. I'd forgotten completely about signing up. And then we, me and my sister spent hours scouring through Facebook photos and everything when we finally got their names. And, um, and I know they did the same. <laughs> so it was kind of that, 
oh my god they do this and we speak in the same way me and my half sister have the same tone of voice and it's just that she has a northern accent because they were born up here and that was another thing I've moved up from down south and I'm now down the road kind of from them um which is really strange and and so there were a lot of lovely coincidences and a lot of lovely finding out we have things in common and and things like that um but then I think this the next time round with the next two it was a bit more chilled it was it was really nice but it was I think I went into it a lot more level-headed and it was right this is a bonus this isn't I think I put a lot on it the first time around and my mum had just died as well quite soon before that so it was a bit more of a sort of tinged with oh she would have loved this she would oh she would have loved finding siblings she'd be more interested than me I think um so yeah but I think it's now I can go into it a bit more like anyone that comes along now it's this brilliant bonus it's sort of yeah a big seeking out type thing brilliant and would you like to have met them earlier or do you think 18 was a good age I rather you were a bit older than you yeah I mean I think 18 would have been a good age actually if it had happened like that I think I think meeting them younger wouldn't have brought anything it wouldn't have done any damage I think it would have yeah. I think that's the argument. I think that nothing would have gone wrong knowing them earlier. I think potentially being in a slightly older place and a bit more mature helped with that realization. But I think that's only an argument as opposed to finding them when I was like 10, I think. But growing up with them there would have removed that kind of, it wouldn't have been this big buildup, which I think it turned into the first time around. It was this, a lot was placed on having this relationship with them. And that's a lot harder when you're adults because <laughs> yeah. you bring a whole baggage of 20 something years to a relationship with someone that you are related to. And that's really difficult. And you've got a lot of conflicting feelings and, and there's a lot of pressure to like each other. <laughs> True. I think, I think the difference is if you've known them when you were children, it's just a knowing them. It's um, there in the background, but they are there and they, it isn't a, yeah, it, it changes the, the atmosphere of it a bit <laughs> yeah it's really interesting because I was speaking to someone who used the Seattle sperm bank mm. and they connect you so um they connect you with all the other people who've used the same donor and I love that so she's mm-hmm. got I think it was seven <laughs> families so yeah. far that have all used the same donor and they're all connected from babies so I mean they don't live particularly close Mm. they all they all live in America but you know they yeah they've got like a whatsapp group and they share pictures and um I I just I would love to at least have that option yes Um, I think that's it I think it's options really yeah I think the fact that there was it was it was this or no other way changes the dynamic of quite a lot because you're reliant fully on I'm I'm waiting for emails constantly. I'm yeah. waiting for an email or a, a phone call. And um knowing that they exist but I can't find them is very difficult. So I think having that option, that's why I'm already wanting to look and connect for siblings for my daughter, because I think I had no interest until quite recently, until I started thinking about how much easier it could be for her <laughs> than it was for me. Yeah. Um, and it's just having that option. It doesn't mean I'd want to have play dates every weekend, no. <laughs> it's, um, which I think people expect that, but actually it's just knowing they're there really. <laughs> I think the other thing for me is because you use Manchester Fertility as well, didn't you? They're likely to be local. Like if you've used the 
you know, European sperm bank, mm. if you meet people, they could be all, all around. Whereas with Manchester, um, yeah. they're likely to be in a pretty close radius. So, um, yeah, I got they could be at the same school. I just yeah. like having that knowledge earlier can only be yeah. a bonus, I think, and it can only help, really. Exactly, exactly. Well, I really hope more of the sperm banks go towards um, what yes. Seattle Sperm Bank are doing. Let's see, I'm on a mission to speak to some of them. So, just I, I'm interested to get more information about what what's the rationale in the yeah. UK for waiting until people are 18 when lots of donor conceived people say they would have liked it to be earlier so yeah well this is you slightly off topic this but um but i've just literally got off a zoom call earlier with a couple of other donor conceived people and we've started a a bit of a campaign towards the hfea and parts of it are around the the fact that they've not done anything to tell past donors that they can remove their anonymity but um but it's also speaking about the idea of you, you have all this information that you're sat on and you're not doing anything with it. And the likelihood of things like incest is increasing and you are not making any effort to, to pass on that information. And there's people that I, one donor conceived person in the group went to university, the same university at the same time as one of her donor siblings and didn't know because she didn't know she was donor conceived. So there's no way that she could have done that. So, it's interesting learning those stories. It um, is. And I'm, I'm really interested in that because I also just think it's really important that we listen, like we, we learn. So maybe mm. we thought that that was better at a certain point in time, but now listening to people's lived experience of that, we're saying actually maybe something different is better now. Yeah, um, there has to be an acknowledgement that, of what people are saying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then you said you have also then found your donor. So what, what happened with that? Um, it was, I signed up to these, you know, like my heritage and ancestry. Yeah. And that. I, I did one of them years ago, purely out of interest of what my, my actual genetic heritage was. Yeah. Um, and then I forgot about it. And then I did an ancestry one a few years ago because my wife got one as a present. So I did one as well. And then again, forgot about it. And I keep getting emails saying I've got third to fifth cousins popping up but that was about it and then I got a second cousin match and he was very curious about how we were connected and I said I wasn't sure because half of my heritage is from a sperm donor he then passed me on to logging on to GED match was it which is a bit more of a statistical version of an ancestry kit you can upload the raw data but you can have all these different kits on one page so rather than only people that have used ancestry you can connect to others which was I didn't know existed. Um, And I found another second cousin that wasn't related to the first second cousin. So we then looked into how we related and she turned around and said, I think I know who your dad is. She is. And I was like, right. Okay. And then she never got back to me. So months went by and I forgot about it. And then I got an email in the middle of the night um, when I was up doing a night feed when my daughter was about three weeks old. And she said, yep, I was right. This is your dad and gave me his email and it wow. was her nephew yeah so connected us in the middle of the night and I, I fired off an email and my first sentence was I'm fully aware that you signed up for lifelong anonymity so if you want nothing to do with me you can you that's can tell me fine. to bugger off and that's fine because I wasn't looking for him I had no sort of that wasn't my intention and at that point whilst I was excited it was also a bit of a well I had a lot of hormones already <laughs> it was um it was such a shock because I didn't think that was ever going to be something I would be able to do. 
but we've yeah we've got a lovely relationship now we have met up about three times we have regular facetimes so um it's been really nice it's it's brought a lot to my life which is lovely amazing (laughs) and do you feel sort of like what are your feelings towards him? Is there familiarity or, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to talk to him and it always has been from like the first phone call. I'm not very good with phone calls, so mm. it, was, it was really nice to have that. And we have a lot in common, which is, I mean, I think I found myself looking for things at first because mm. it's, I think your brain does that. It tries mm. to find, oh, look, I could have this from him. But it's just been very easy. And I think I've had, I remember my... Other, my non-biological mom said to me she was like does he feel like your dad she was like I know this is a weird question and I was like no because he's not my dad but he feels like a relative he feels like someone that I've maybe known for a while and I can tell I'm connected to him in that way but I don't think he'd ever feel like my dad it's just a nice nice to know him <laughs> it's just nice to have that kind of that face is filled now where it was just previously empty (laughs) amazing oh it's brilliant to listen to you um talk about it it's really interesting Mm -hmm. and um i think you touched briefly there on language so Mm -hmm. language is so important isn't it and i know there's so many debates at the moment about the right language to use so what language do you use to describe your um i still call in my donor um when talking to the people i sort of occasionally use biological father when I'm explaining the relationship to somebody yeah. but I just really use his first name um, yes, fair it's slightly more confusing when it comes to my daughter I kind of I say biological grandfather and there's kind of and then it just the biological drops and it's kind of grandfather I think it's somehow easier to describe his relationship to her than it is to me <laughs> but yeah I, I don't think it would ever be dad or just father but yeah biological father I'm I'm getting more used to using really right and so then how old were you when you decided that you were going to also go down this route um I mean I me and my wife have been married for uh six years and together for eight or nine and so we kind of always knew we always knew we wanted kids and so we always knew that a donor was very likely going to be part of that. Yeah. We sort of talked about the idea of using a known donor. But the, the problem is I'm, I, I think apparently similar to my biological mom, when I've asked questions about this, she was very scared of the idea of using a known donor because she used to say, I don't want someone that could come and take her. Yeah. And someone that could claim her. <laughs> and, and I never heard that directly from her. I heard it from my other mom. But, but I do get that. I think there was a fear in me that we were going to make a family unit and then someone was going to try and be a part of that that mm. I didn't want. And, and we had no one in our lives that could fit that without me being scared of that, which is a shame. And, I, and I'm still sad about that. I still think that would be ideal. And people that have that set up, I'm, I'm very jealous of. I think that's perfect. Yeah. But because of that, we knew an anonymous donor, sadly, in the UK was probably going to be the way to go. We wanted to do it through a clinic because we wanted the kind of safety of it. I think we talked briefly about using at-home insemination and having a shipment from Cryos, Denmark sperm bank, because they had a lot more information there. And then we learned that they changed the laws when we were about to do that and they no longer ship from a sperm bank to a home address. Yeah. Um, so that kind of that had been our plan for quite a while. So that was scuffered a bit. And then we just kind of gave in and went down the clinic route. Um, and especially with Manchester Fertility, the fact that it was attached was quite an appealing yeah. thing. Um, it was slightly less 
paperwork and less to try and figure out. And then when we read the profile of our donor, we felt quite comfortable and, and ready to, to use him and hopefully use him again soon for a sibling. So it was, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think using an anonymous donor was always our plan, but it was, I think we knew we'd probably end up there, <laughs> really. Yeah, and yeah. it's really hard, isn't it, when you, it would be a good option mm. if you had the right person, but it's, it's getting the right person, isn't it, yeah. that, that's yeah, sometimes no. difficult in the known donor. And have you learned anything where you think you've done, you're doing things differently now with your daughter because of what you've learned? Um, I think I'm, I'm definitely going down the sibling route earlier than I expected. I think, um, I had always said, well, I was okay finding them when I was older, so she will probably be okay. And then I started to realize I was being quite selfish and, and assuming that she was going to have the same experience as me. And I actually started to ask myself why, if it, if it wasn't possible, if it was possible, why wasn't I doing it? Why wasn't I looking? And so me and my wife kind of agreed, we'd at least have a look and see if there were any um siblings we've already applied to the hfea but the waiting list is about nine months i think yeah. to get an answer. so um so we would like actually if there is another way so joining things like the whatsapp group or or looking at um if any groups have been set up on facebook which occasionally happens never for our donor but that can happen <laughs> um we sort of realized that it would just be good to know so that we're armed i think i always want to have answers for her no matter mm. how young she starts asking those um and even if they're the most basic answers, I'd like to have something. I think we're being more open about it with family. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, obviously it's very clear that we've had to use a donor to have a child, but my parents never really talked about it with anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone actually had assumed that my mum had used a donor as a single parent because they didn't know that my parents were even together. It was a long homophobic sort of fear around that um yeah. and i i made it a mission in my head to kind of be a lot more open about that purely just so that my daughter didn't grow up having to explain it um like i did so even sort of challenging family members when they maybe use the wrong terminology my wife's family accidentally used they said oh was that a picture of you and your dad on facebook and i said oh no actually it's um, my donor you know I don't I don't use dad and they're very quick to go oh, yes of course but it's just sort of reinforcing that yeah. because I don't then want one day for them to say about my daughter oh is that her dad and go well no <laughs> so I sort of think I have to advocate for myself as well yeah. so that I'm advocating for her but I also think the more I talk about it I'm doing it so that the world is slightly easier for when she gets older and when she's having to have similar conversations maybe not everyone she comes across all have never heard of using a sperm donor um like every single person i met on my pregnancy journey midwives who had no clue and used the wrong terminology and things like that i just kind of think each little person i i try and impart knowledge on <laughs> is um is a good step yeah i think we've come a long way but there's a long way to go that's how it feels so like we're yeah, definitely making progress but mm. there's still lots of people who don't understand and where education can come yeah. for sure definitely. and have you started speaking to your um, daughter already yeah we we regularly talk i mean she's so little but <laughs> we have a book of people that love me a little photo book and in that we've got a picture of her and my donor and we have the word underneath it we say his first name mommy's donor 
because we thought there's a positive use of the word there and, and we can keep that going. And we have a couple of the other books on the bookshelves that are always visible. Mm. We quite like things like You Began as a Wish and books like that, which are lovely. But we just talk about him quite casually, even not with her. We kind of, she's very energetic. I know most children are, but she <laughs> likes to be quite sporty and she likes anything that involves running around with a ball or something like that. And, and we joke that she can't have got that from me. So she must have got that from a donor's side because he put down that he was athletic. And it's things like that, that we want to make sure we, we talk about and we can say to her, well, did you know he runs marathons? And that's, you know, I could never do that. That's amazing. And, and that's part of you. And, and wanting it to be really um, to know the profile back to front so that if she ever says anything, I can have an answer straight away. And we've then written, she's got memory books where she's got parts about that. And, and he's spoken in his donor profile a lot about his own family. So even mentioning that and saying, he's got a twin sister. And so you've got an aunt and, and things like that. I think it's more to get us used to it, really. <laughs> like she doesn't fully understand any of that yet. But if we can have that conversation casually, eventually there'll be a point where she's sat there with us understanding it. Amazing. It's actually really great for you to be able to say this is your donor because it makes it things easier to explain when you've got an example from someone yeah. else as well, doesn't it? So that's, that's yeah. really nice that you've got that yeah. to be able to talk to. Even as I keep saying, it's, it's making the word a positive thing in a way. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's a scene in Modern Family where they're trying to, I don't know if you've ever watched it, but they're trying to get um, their daughter used to the idea of the word adoption being a good thing. So every time the word, they say the word adoption, they go, yay. So it's turning it into this kind of yeah. having a positive association with it, really. Yeah, exactly. And I, had, I did a great interview with someone called Sarah Sprawl, who was saying that actually just us getting used to saying words that we're not familiar with saying, you know, it, it's hard physically. And if you just get it into your vocabulary, and I think because I think there's lots of people who listen to this podcast who do then they can't they don't confidently talk about donor because it's still mm. a thing that they're sort of like getting to grips with so just getting yeah. used to, to, to talking about a donor is yeah. um can be really helpful in the first place <laughs> brilliant so is there any advice that you would have for anybody you know on this subject i think well you covered that just then i think the idea of of making it incredibly normal before they're even able to talk I often see questions asked on Instagram and, and it's often saying, when do I have that conversation? And I, and I kind of want to say, actually, there shouldn't really be a when. I think that it should have started, it should have started from, I mean, I know that you can't always go back in time, but yeah, if possible, from now, from now yeah, yeah. just make it and don't make it a big thing. Don't make it a dinner mm-hmm. table conversation. Mm-hmm. Make it something where you are talking about it every day it maybe not all right maybe not all the time but but talking about it in the point where it's just regular conversation and advocate for your children to family members don't make them have to do that for example challenging those languages before it gets to the point where your child has to challenge it and constantly learning i think don't assume you've reached a point where you know everything and and you're sort of there's no more that could help you because I'm, I'm donor conceived and I'm still learning a lot about donor conception. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of, every day I'm learning something that makes me go, oh, that's, I never knew that. I didn't think about that. So I didn't realize that could have been a point of view. And sometimes I'm a bit ashamed that I never realized it, but you only know what you have lived and grown up as. And 
to learn anything else you have to do it yourself and you have to put in the work um and if we don't want our children to do all the legwork we have to do some of it as well <laughs> and be ready to have difficult conversations with them even if you think you've done everything right i yeah. think that's a common thing i'm hearing and um, to do the work that like mm. we should be doing the work not leaving it to our children because it can feel like quite a big burden at, um when you leave yeah. your children so i think that's really good advice to do the work and i think it's so true what you say about um always learning as well because i think you know ev everything changes doesn't it like we mm. think that we know things now on a whole manner of different subjects and then new learnings come out and people yeah. realize so i think it's like anything in life that yeah perspectives change and I love what you said as well about learning and understanding different perspectives. Mm. And I think the other thing that I'm really trying to have is have an open mind um, yeah. on trying to understand everyone's perspectives, like mm. where they're coming from. And the only thing that we can all individually do is keep learning and, and trying yeah. to understand and listening and, and I suppose being curious and asking the right questions. Because I, I I think if we've got a closed or a fixed mindset where we're like, right, this is my view and that's it. And you yeah, know, you're never going to get anywhere really with that. And, and the only people that will suffer really is you and, and your child, because they, they know very much if you are going into something feeling like you have the definitive answer on it mm. and, and you want your child to be asking you questions and expecting you to, do the work and do the you know do the exploring with them because i think otherwise it's quite lonely because being donor conceived in some ways can be lonely and that's not a i think parents parents find it quite hard to hear things that are anything negative because yeah. it scares them and i get it because i am still a recipient parent and i do have those fears but i think you have to embrace the the scary bit of it because it can be lonely because you are having to explain your existence a lot and you are also having to explain the downsides of that sometimes and and acknowledge the downsides of that and just having your parent with you and and acknowledging that that's difficult is is a big thing my non-biological mom has been brilliant because she's never tried to tell me that she's done it the right way and that's it she's always said to me she's like sometimes i really regretted using an anonymous donor i wanted you to know where you came from and she's like i had fears i had fears that we we're going to do it wrong that we were going to you know that you were going to resent us and she's been so open about that that i've never been scared of going to her about something that's felt uncomfortable or upset me and it's meant that she's been along the journey with me and she's met my donor and and i wouldn't have wanted to do that if she had been completely closed off to the idea that that anything could have been difficult <laughs> really so being open as well is um is i suppose key then amazing lots for us to think about well thank you so much for chatting to me let's keep on our mission of uh, getting the hfpa to, to 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 listen to, to yeah. these people definitely great thanks so much if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast it'd mean a lot to me if you take a few minutes to rate review and subscribe if you'd like to learn more of what's on offer at the stork and i head over to my website, thestalkandi.com or follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi with underscores between the words. You can hear more about the coaching I offer as well as hear from donor-conceived adults, industry experts 
and the opportunity to meet and become a part of the Solo Motherhood community.